In this installment, I share my original journal entries from the first half of April of 2003, along with comments to clarify my original notations and additional reflections given that next month marks the 15th anniversary of this moment in history. Most notably, this would be the month I finally entered Iraq. April 1st and 2nd. No entries. April 3rd. The Mop 4 Fiasco. While my memory is a bit fuzzy, basically somewhere in the camp someone freaked out because they thought they had found a trace of a biological or chemical weapon. The entire camp was ordered to go to MOP 4. As a reminder, MOP stands for Mission Oriented Protection Posture, and basically it relates to the various layers of special clothing we put on to protect us from exposure to a nuclear, biological, or chemical agent. There are four levels, with the fourth being completely suited up, garb, gloves, and gas mask. Anyways, Chief shrugged it off and told us to just hang out in the tent. I can't recall if it was this time or during another scud warning that he memorably said, If any of you put on your gas mask, you're a pussy. Later, a maintenance first sergeant came into the tent, completely suited up, and he freaked out when he saw us all lying around, playing cards, reading books, etc. We got a good laugh out of it after he left, but I think Chief might have had a talk with the colonel, first of many, I'm sure, regarding the importance of following orders from above. April 4th, Baghdad, formerly Saddam International Airport, taken. Fighting in the outskirts of Baghdad. Three soldiers killed in suicide bombing. Another three killed from Fort Sill MLRS unit. This was the first time we heard of soldiers lost from our own post. Unfortunately, many more were to come. If you're counting, at this point it has been 17 days since the war began. It seemed at this point that victory, at least for the conventional part of the war, was imminent. We are still in Kuwait. April 5th, Room Clearing slash Urban Warfare Training Not sure if Chief knew that Med Alpha was heading out soon, but we did some training this day. April 6th, see Geraldo in the Chow Hall. This was my only celebrity sighting of the war. Some of you might recall that Geraldo eventually got into a load of trouble just a few days later when he described the location of the 101st unit with which he was an embedded reporter. He was sent back to the U.S. not long after that. April 7th, no entry. April 8th, Med Alpha launches minus four. We finally got word that we were heading north, flying on a Chinook. We got packed up early in the morning, rucksack essentially for a couple weeks' supply of clothing and MREs. And this was it, or so I thought. As we were loading up on the back of a five-ton, Sergeant Veach called myself along with Panici, Barasa, and De Leon out of the truck. He then told us that Colonel McPhee wanted to go on the mission along with several other reporters. We were going to be flying up to Baghdad, or close to it, to inspect what was reported to be something suspicious hidden in the water of the Tigris River, if I recall correctly. This was going to be the big moment when we found the smoking gun that would begin to justify the whole war. Unfortunately, because the higher-ups and reporters wanted to be there for it, there wasn't enough room in the chopper for the whole team. So the four of us would be left behind and reunited as soon as possible. I can't recall if Chief came by to apologize before the team pulled away on the truck to the airfield. I was extremely disappointed and angry. I recall walking back into the tent, throwing my gear down next to the cot. I take Chief at his word that he had no choice on this call. It gave me just one more reason to dislike Colonel McPhee. The stuff in the Tigris? Well, as you can imagine, it turned out to be nothing. April 9th. Saddam's statue torn down in Baghdad by Iraqis with the help of U.S. forces, some calling it a day of liberation. 
This was symbolically the end of the conventional war in Iraq, though it would be three weeks before President Bush gave his famous mission accomplished speech. It is really painful for me to consider that we are now almost 15 years later and to look back at all of the violence and loss of life we have seen since then. There were moments during the early days of the war when there seemed to be a strong sense of hope that better days lay right around the corner, as seen in this special CBS report. This is the moment U.S. Marines literally toppled Saddam Hussein, and history was made. The Iraqi crowd understood perhaps more than anyone what this meant. As this giant symbol of Saddam's regime was torn from its pedestal, they pelted it with shattered concrete. When it crashed to the floor, they rushed forward frenzied to stamp triumphantly on the broken metal body of the man they'd feared for so long. No one knew if he was alive or dead, but the presence of American Marines was all the reassurance they needed. A floodgate of emotions suppressed for too long finally unleashed. For the Marines, it was the moment the sacrifices they'd made suddenly had real meaning. Uh, it's been friendly, they've been waving, giving us thumbs up, uh, all the ones that we've met. They've been coming up, shaking our hands, giving us flowers, cigarettes for those who smoke, those that don't, they just hand it to them anyways. Minutes before, American tanks rolled down the main road towards Waha Square, a sight so many Iraqis told me before the war began they never believed they would ever see in Baghdad. These terrified women and children cowered in fear as U.S. Marines entered a nearby hotel to make it secure. They were never under threat, but as families of Ba'ath Party members, they had no idea what to expect from the men who'd come to remove that party from power. Not everyone here will welcome the Marines, and they know their job is not yet done. As this skirmish with Iraqi resistance fighters still in the area shows. They may not be as well armed, but their weapons are no less deadly. While the capital is not yet secure, and Iraqis may not want foreigners in their country for long, on this day, Baghdad was a city with hope that the future will be better than the past. Lara Logan, CBS News, Baghdad. April 10th and 11th. No entries. April 12th. Jump talk to Talil. Met Alpha Lost Boys and met Bravo take Chinooks. Hydraulic fluid. Hot landing, De Leon almost blown away. Jump talk means we left or jumped our tactical operations center from Kuwait into southern Iraq, specifically what we knew at the time as the Talil Air Base. Today it is known as the Ali Air Base. It is located close to the city of Nazaria, which is where some of the fiercest fighting was seen in the war just a few weeks earlier. My understanding at the time was that it was to become the first major air logistics center of the war. As someone who got his bachelor's in biblical studies, I have to admit that it was really amazing to be in this location. Within eyesight was the ziggurat, an ancient temple which was originally located next to the city of Ur, believed to be the birthplace of Abraham. Lost Boys is the nickname that myself, Barasa, Panici, and De Leon gave ourselves after having been split up from the rest of Med Alpha. The reference to hydraulic fluid had to do with the fact that there was a small but persistent drip of some kind of mechanical fluid the entire flight to Talil. I recall asking one of the crew members if we should be concerned, 
but he assured me that this was common. I'm not sure how much that comforted me. As far as De Leon being almost blown away, this was easily one of the most hilarious moments of my time overseas. What is meant by a hot landing is that the Chinook is not going to cut its engines, and we are supposed to unload all of our gear as fast as possible so we can get the hell out of there ASAP. De Leon was grabbing the last few bags when the Chinook powered up to take off. I remember looking back to see him getting slammed with a rotor wash, and for a minute I thought he was going to go full Mary Poppins. April 13th. Main body arrives late at night. Big lightning and thunderstorm. I had guard duty from 4 to 6 a.m. Main body refers to the rest of the task force. As far as roving guard duty, this would be the first of several times I would be tagged for this task, both here in Talil and eventually at the base where we stayed in Baghdad. I recall it being very quiet and peaceful, to be honest. April 14th and 15th. Put up lots of tents, 7+. plus. Last one is ours, Lost Boys. Slight wind slash sandstorm. Most of the tents we put up were huge, what we call GP large, GP standing for general purpose. The Lost Boys tent was a GP small. I'll show pictures in the next post. The sandstorm was very mild, but that was all about to change in a big way. In the next installment, part five, we will cover the rest of the month of April, which will conclude my time in Talil, and end with a convoy to Baghdad and my first mission into the capital city. Thank you for listening to this podcast, and remember that you can check out more of my takes on faith, social justice, and pop culture, along with other life-inspired musings by visiting www.curtelewis.com. If you enjoyed and benefited from this and other publications featured on my website, would you take a few minutes to show your support? First, you can share it with your friends via social media, text message, email, word of mouth, pigeon bird, cave art, whichever you prefer. Second, if you're listening on iTunes, take a few seconds to subscribe to this podcast and to give it a positive review. Lastly, you can help me to continue to produce these podcasts by making a monthly or one-time financial contribution. Click on support on the website to learn more. Again, thanks so much for listening.